Hey Highlands, how you doing? You guys ready to worship? Thanks. That's what I, that's what I like to hear. So today is the most surreal experience in my entire life. Uh, this is the first time, if you're here for the first time, you might not know this, but this is the first time that I am here preaching as the lead pastor at Highlands, and it is unbelievable. And it is so good to see you. I can see each one of you, and um, this is the beginning of a reality series that I think is going to be a big, have a big impact on this city. I really do. And the reality series will last three weeks. This week, we are going to be talking about Ephesians. All, week, all, the, all month, we'll talk about the books of Ephesians, chapters 3 and 4. So if you want to get into it and dig deep into it, you can do that. Also, if you give us your email today, or if we already have it, we're going to send you an email after the worship service today so that you don't forget what we talked about, and you can kind of think about it and go a little bit deeper. Does that sound good? So now I get to ask you my favorite question. Are you ready for it? Are you ready and are you excited to read the Bible today? Let's try that again. Are you ready and are you excited to read the Bible? That's right. Let's read the Bible. This is Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 20. And it is the Apostle Paul writing to a little church in Ephesus around the year 60, 80, about 30 years after Jesus had, was crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. Paul is writing this letter to this little church in Ephesus that has somehow forgotten. He wants to remind them that with God, their life can be better then their greatest dreams come true. With God, their life can be better than even their greatest dream come true. Listen to the words that Paul writes as a prayer to this little church in Ephesus. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Remember that, remember that um, song we just sang about, I am a child of God, you call me by name. This is what he's talking about. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, the riches of God's glory, that he may grant as a gift that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power of his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts, this is important, through faith. As you are being rooted, I love this imagery, rooted and grounded in love. And then he goes on to say, I pray that that you may have the power to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is mind-blowing, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Imagine that, filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish, and I want you to read this with me, abundantly, far more than all we can ask or imagine, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. After reading this, I've become convinced that if Jesus were here in Paso Robles today, he would be throwing the biggest Super Bowl party ever. Actually, I think he might have even been one of the 
coaches of one of the teams at the Super Bowl this year because he could give the best locker room talks. You imagine him looking at you in the eye and saying, God can accomplish abundantly far more than all, you know, it just gets bigger and bigger, all you can ask or even imagine. Reminds me of the best locker room talks, the best quotes from the, some of these football legends. You guys know who Jimmy Johnson is? Who knows who? Shout out if you know who Jimmy Johnson is. How can you not know and remember a guy named Jimmy Johnson? So, right? Okay, so his quote is, treat a person as he is, and he will remain as he is. But if you treat a person as he could be, then he will become all he should be. We all need to hear that, don't we? How about this other guy, Tom Landry? You ever heard of that guy? He said, a great coach is someone who tells you what you don't want to hear. I promise I'll be a good coach to you, okay? You don't want to hear it? I'm going to tell you. And shows you what you don't want to see so that you can be everything that you've always known you should be. Has anyone ever talked to you like that? Has anyone ever talked about the potential that you have in your future? That you have a potential for greatness? Do you believe it? And if no one ever has, I'm sorry. I know there are a lot of people in this world that have never been told that they have any potential at all. And that should break all of our hearts. Can you imagine someone who's never been told that they have any potential at all? The Apostle Paul loved to tell people that they had potential. But he wanted to tell them something more. You see... The world tells us this great thing, that we are full of potential, right? But Paul wanted to take it a step further because it wasn't enough. Being full of potential is too small. It's way too small, even though it's a really great thing. What Paul wanted us to know is that we could be full of God's potential. Can you imagine that? That that the greatest dreams that you ever had are such chicken scratch compared to God's greatest dreams for you. The the greatest hopes, the greatest ambitions, the greatest plans you ever had, God has way bigger plans and way bigger ambitions for you than anything that you could have ever dreamed up for yourself. Can I hear an amen? Now, listen to this quote from Albert Einstein, who was a great Christ follower, lived in Princeton, right by Princeton Seminary, right down the street there, saw his house, not bragging or anything, but it was pretty cool. He said this, the true, sign, <clears throat> sorry, the true sign of intelligence is not knowledge, but imagination. Wow. Paul would completely agree with that. The true sign of intelligence is not knowledge, but it's imagination. Paul is the one who just told you these words. He prayed these words that, that you would come to know the love of Christ and that you would, that, that you would have the power to understand the length and height and depth and breadth. And the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Isn't that what Einstein was talking about? Something that surpasses knowledge? Something that we might call imagination? But then Paul also said this other thing in our scripture today. He said that he prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. That is so important, that word through faith. You see, Paul is saying that faith is, faith, okay, faith is like imagination, but it's better. Faith is better than imagination. And I want you to remember that. See, faith is imagination with legs. 
Faith is imagination put to work and brought to life. But that's not even what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about something bigger. Paul is talking about faith in God. You see, faith in God is God's imagination with legs. And faith in God is God's imagination put to work and brought to life. (laughs) I think so. Now, one of my favorite people in the world is this guy named John Perkins. And in Pasadena, there's this incredible, can you imagine a place? It's a private school for the poorest kids. And so it's legitimately just a private school, and the poorest kids get to go to private school. And it was, the, he set up camp right next to the biggest drug dealer, got rid, and just by, just by loving people. But listen to his story. In 1947, when he was a 17-year-old kid living in Mississippi, his older brother was murdered by one of the town marshals. And he was filled with anger and fear and frustration and confusion. And so what he did is he ran. He ran as far away as he could, and he went west. And guess where he ended up? Well, Pasadena. No, I don't know. I think it was Oakland. But yeah, yeah, you're listening. Thank you. So, um, but yeah, California. And, and so he came here and he did start to understand that he had potential in his life. And he lived such great potential with his life. But he was pretty far away from God. But just he was far from God. And he had a kid and a miracle happened. Someone spent time with his kid, not him. Someone spent time with his kid telling his kid about the love of Jesus. So his kid comes home one day and tells daddy how Jesus loves him. Now, John Perkins thinks his kid's completely delusional. He's lost touch with reality, and he's going to put him straight. So what he does is he opens the Bible. Be careful opening the Bible because something was going to happen. So he opens the Bible, and he starts to build an argument And he discovers that his heart is changed and his mind is changed and he is becoming transformed and he is loving God and he is loving other people. And he becomes a Christ follower. And then something even more miraculous happens. He feels this pull to go back to Mississippi, the place that he vowed he would never, ever go back to again. And he goes there to the poorest neighborhood and he doesn't just visit the poorest neighborhood. He lives there. He moves in with them, and he spends time with them. And his, his dream, the dream that he has on his heart, is that these people would be freed from the bondage, like we sang here today, that they would be freed from the chains that hold them down. And so he discovers a couple of things. The first thing he discovers is that the poverty of the people in Mississippi, in that neighborhood, was so bad that they couldn't even think about where their next meal would come from. They didn't, they didn't plan a, a, a week's worth of meals. They didn't even plan where they would be the next day. They just were looking for that next dollar bill, that next meal that would come to their table. And what he discovered is that the greatest poverty is not the poverty of money. It's oftentimes the poverty that results from having so little money. That they had no view of any potential for for their life. They didn't believe in themselves. They didn't believe that they had any future whatsoever. And so what he said is that they had a poverty of imagination. They had a poverty of not being able to imagine a future for themselves. The second thing that he learned is that when he spent time with them, that he just listened to them, and he 
focused his attention on them and he cared for them, something amazing happened. They started to discover that maybe they did have value. They started to think that maybe they did have a potential in their life and that they were worth investing and spending time with. And they were becoming freed from this reality that that had so this but it wasn't reality it was this illusion of reality that had handcuffed them permanently to poverty and now just by spending time with them the lord worked through john perkins to liberate these people from something they could not escape from otherwise amazing now one of the things i'm most excited about is this reality series the reality series is born out of this information that we got that the city is going to be teaching every eighth grader in this city a special innovative curriculum called Real Reality Enrichment and Life Lessons. And this week, every junior hire is going to go through a kind of immersive experience almost like virtual reality goggles, where they're going to go from station to station and find out how their life would play out if they made one decision or another, a proactive versus a reactive decision. Boy, I wish I'd had that that in when I was in junior high, don't you? So the idea was that our church would walk alongside the schools as they're talking about a future and a potential for these kids, and they're dreaming about all that might happen in their lives, that we would join them and we would dream with them. And so our student ministries pastor, who is uh, named Kevin Kaub, if you haven't met him, he preaches incredible sermons. He is up at Hume right now. Uh, Please just shower him with love and gifts or whatever you can, because he's coming back from a weekend, spending time with 10 of of our junior high kids from this church. Spending time with them. Notice that theme, spending time. He said, you know what, I'm going to go down to the junior high on Tuesday to be a part of the reality enrichment and life lessons team because they need volunteers. Well, we looked at ourselves, we looked at each other as a staff this last week, and we said, hey, what are we doing on Tuesday? They said, oh, well, we're having staff meeting. Well, we said, is that really more important than meeting every junior hire in the whole entire city of Paso Robles and spending time with them? So we canceled staff meeting, and we're going to spend the entire day, the whole entire staff of Highlands Church is going to go down to the schools, and we are going to be spending time with the kids. I am very excited about that. So I used to think that ministry was really, really difficult, that it was rocket science. It's actually really very, very, very simple. And what I'm about to tell you is worth a $60,000 seminary education. So you can put the money in the offering plate on your way out. (laughs) This is it. I was in a class with a acclaimed author and seminary professor with tons of credentials, PhD. You know what that means? Come on, you got a Baird up here. You know what it means, right? Piled high and deep, right? Yeah. So, um... So, but he was there, and he was, I, was, I thought, this guy's going to tell me something really valuable and teach me something great, and he did. He gave me the hardest assignment I ever had, and Danny will agree. She remembers when I came home with this assignment, and I did not know what to do. He said, you have to find this next week a group of teenagers that have nothing to do with the church as far as you know, and just hang out with them. And I said, that sounds creepy. <laughs> no, actually, what I said is, it does. But I, what I said is, it actually... I don't, no, and this is what I said. I said, I don't skateboard. That was the first thing. I don't skateboard. I can't hang out with a teenager. 
Um, and then the other thing is, I was thinking, uh, well, at least my wife has informed me in, that it's verifiable. I am not cool. It's true. And my three kids under five, five, five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old, they will tell you already. They know that I'm not cool. And I have a phobia because junior high and high school wasn't that great for me. And you're like, no kidding, buddy. I can tell. Um, but I, I found myself calling the school and saying, is there anything that I can do to, to help out or hang out with the kids? And they said, based on your voice, you sound like you must have been a debate nerd. Is that true? And I said, yeah, actually, it's true. So how did you know? And so I was uh, a judge at the debate tournament. A week later, they were doing speech and debate, and I was judging the little speeches that they had come up with. Great speeches. And they were amazing. I was surrounded by, like, one kid after another would get up and share their heart, share their fears, share their worries, share what they were thinking. And I couldn't believe how amazing their stories were. And afterward, the kids came up to me. I was just being there. I wasn't trying to put on an act or anything. And they came up to me, and they said, you know that you're the first person that actually looks like they care what we're saying. All the other parents know that it's a requirement to come and judge as a volunteer. And so they are just so disinterested and checked out and they don't listen to us. We know that you actually care and you say nice things. How heartbreaking is that? So then there was this moment when all of the teachers and all of the um, all coaches went off to their place to eat lunch. And then there was the cafeteria where all the kids went. And I could immediately see this, this brokenness that our community has created this weird reality, this superimposed reality of separation where, where there's, there's all these people that are exiled. And so I went over to the cafeteria and I sat down, and it was the greatest fear of my life, honestly, sitting in that space. And then one of the kids said, what are you doing here? And I said, I, I just want to know what your life is like. And they said, police! No, I'm kidding. That, no. <laughs> No, but they started to share their story. They, they, were, they were unpacking their hearts. They were saying, oh, man. I said, that's what it's like to be a kid these days. It's so different than it was. And I realized that they're just human beings. And suddenly, this permanent, superimposed, weird reality that had been created was shattered. Kind of reminds me of John Perkins in Mississippi, who shattered that illusion that those people had lived under, that the world has to be this way and superimpose not just potential, but God's potential on, on their life. And I could see that there was healing taking place in love and hope. Jesus Christ stepped down into our reality when he was born. And then he walked among us, and he loved us, and he cared for us, and he spent time with us, and he looked us in the eye, and he listened to us, and he loved us. And people couldn't believe it, that God would want to hear their story and hear their heart. And Jesus met people around normal old dinner tables. He went to parties all the time where he wasn't invited. He, always did, he actually said, like, hey, I'm going to be coming to your house tonight. And they're like, well, all right, you're not invited, but come on. And he would meet his disciples around tables like this. And on the night that he was crucified... He, and, and I've heard pastors call it the night he was betrayed. Have you ever heard that? Who was he betrayed by? Everybody. Everyone. I, did, I didn't want you to say Judas, because that's right, but he was, he was betrayed by everybody. 
And he looked into the eyes of the betrayers. He knew who they were. Their brokenness, they know who they were. And he held up this perfect loaf of bread, and he said, this is my body. And they probably thought, yeah, your body's perfect, and ours is broken. And he said, yeah, but you know what? My body is broken for you. My body is broken so that your body would be whole. So that all of those fake realities that have been superimposed on you, all of those illusions that the world has, has chained you to your whole entire life, they can be dispelled. And my body will be in your body, that I will dwell in you, that I will be a part of you forever, and it will no longer be this, this eye-to-eye contact. It will be that, plus it will be, it will be life forever with me. And there will be a power in you that you could never even imagine. And he's, you, you, can't, you can't think this stuff up. This is beyond imagination. This is faith. And he said, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then after dinner, he took the cup and he blessed the cup and he, and he prayed with the disciples and he said, I have one more thing to tell you. Do you see this, this fruit of this vine that had roots deep, deep in the soil? I know that your roots have been deep in pain. Your roots have been dug deep into the sorrow and the anguish of your life, surrounded by the countless acts of violence and betrayal. And he said, my blood, this is my blood poured out for you. All of it, every last drop. Every last drop so that you can live. So that you can know what it's like to live fully. He said, Eat of this bread and drink of this cup, and every time you do it, you'll be proclaiming my saving death until I shall come again. Proclaiming that love is greater than hate, and darkness is nothing compared to the light. That's what we do here. And so let's pray as we enter into this time of sacred remembrance. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your gift that is more than our imagination could ever receive. May all the glory in the church be yours. And may all the glory of Jesus Christ be yours, God. And and may it be a glory that reaches every single generation, not just now, but forever and ever. So now if you know the Lord's Prayer, I ask you to pray it with us together. It is a prayer that Jesus wrote and taught his disciples to say, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Open your eyes to the new reality and receive the goodness of Jesus Christ. I invite the elders and deacons forward to distribute the elements as you receive them. Hold them in your hands and consider the gift that Jesus Christ has given you. And then we will receive the elements together as a family.